you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Alexandria Scooby. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So very, very interested in this conversation. So you you love generally human-centered leadership. But before we get into all the good stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you come from and how you ended up in the place you are right now? Yeah, I, I actually kind of have a unique story about how I ended up in leadership, but also how I ended up in tech leadership and my cultivation of my theory of leadership in general. So I actually started out adulting as a counselor. So I spent a lot of time in the mental health space, mostly in addictions. Um, I got a little bit burnt out mostly because of the bureaucracy and just all of the things that happened there. Uh, So I took a break and fell face first into tech. So I moved into tech leadership pretty much immediately after leaving counseling and found that a lot of the tactics that I learned, like being in counseling and as a psychologist and all of those pieces weren't actually being used in leadership as they moved into tech. And there was just like some really toxic environments and behaviors and just like ways of being with teams that I found were really ineffective. And so I started showing up differently. Uh, so yeah, I've been in leadership overall for the last 15 years, and I've had the opportunity to lead teams in mental health restaurants and in the tech industry. So it's been a very interesting ride. And yeah, I landed on human-centered leadership through all that because that was always the most effective way to show up for people. Cool. That sounds, uh, that sounds really fun. So in terms of tech particularly, what what did you see in tech that was different? Or I, I guess you, you've only had leadership roles in tech center, uh, in tech organizations, or have you done anything outside? Uh, so my first leadership roles were actually in the mental health community. And so right. like managing counselors and teams like within that space and the facilities that I was working in. Uh, and then I moved into restaurants and that was probably the most jarring difference in how leadership was being conducted. It was very directive and authoritative and micromanaging. And then moving into the tech space, I found the same things were occurring and seeing a lot of themes of ineffective communication and lack of trust in self that created those environments of micromanaging that ended up causing way more ineffectiveness than they ever did in making people feel better about the process. Yep. That I can definitely relate to. I I think it's not just a tech thing, but uh, I think generally, well, one of the biggest thing for me is that, that I feel most companies aren't great at actually helping develop managers and helping give good training, right? Like for most entry-level jobs, you know, there's there's good training. There's like, you know, here's how you do your job, et cetera. Um, but unfortunately for a lot of companies, there's not a lot of good management support, which mm-hmm. I think is actually what creates a lot of those challenges that you highlight, right? So I'm interested. When when you sort of started out and when, when you've been working throughout the tech industry, ha- have you seen a difference in the different jobs or do you see very much the same pattern everywhere? I think the biggest difference that I've seen, like if we're comparing the three industries first, the biggest difference I saw was an interest in change. 
And so that's one of the reasons why I moved into the coaching in the tech space for leaders, because there was actually a desire to learn how to be a better leader and an acknowledgement of, I don't actually have the training to do this. I really don't know what I'm doing and I want to be better at it. So that's a huge plus that I think is different. And there's buy-in from companies in actually being like, oh, well, we don't have an internal program, but let's try and get you some help. And so that was one of the bigger differences that I saw. Um, another difference that I saw specifically coming out of the mental health world into the tech world was not as many feelings were being talked about. <laughs> and so like people not really showing up as their human selves, because there was this narration that you had to basically be a computer operating because you were dealing with computers all the time. And just a lot of like tech language being put onto humans. And I found that kind of dehumanizing and ineffective in actually getting people to engage because it led to burnout and people overworking themselves. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Okay, so tell me a little bit, this human-centered leadership, like for, for our listeners out there that think that sounds super interesting, well, what is that all about? And how how do you go about taking a human approach to things? Yeah, so the core of the human-centered leadership is taking care of your humans first. And so the people who work for you and ensuring that they are taken care of and they have what they need to get their jobs done effectively, that roadblocks are removed for them, that they have the resources that they need to properly do the jobs and or the jobs are adjusted to the resources that are available so that they actually have a space to thrive versus just trying to survive all the time and just being in this like ratched up like fear environment all the time, because that will work for a very short amount of time to get certain production goals done. But in the long term, like you're just going to end up with disgruntled, really burnt out employees who end up leaving and or just not producing because they don't have the energy to anymore. And so if you actually invest in the human on the front end, they take care of everything else. So you create a garden in which people can flourish in, and then they produce the food for you. That makes sense. That was a very simple explanation. I like that. I like that. So when when you're doing that, like, how have you found that to work within tech? Like, what what particular things have worked well with that approach? You feel? Yeah. So the biggest thing that I work with a lot of people on is like how they're actually showing up in communication. And so the other thing that I'm a huge proponent of is communicating in a language of needs. And so really, when you approach anything, right? You start to have conflict in a meeting and it can easily go off the rails when you have a conflict in the meeting, right? And so the conflict can blow up into this huge, huge thing with a lot of hurt feelings and just disruption. Whereas if you show up with a language of needs, you can have that conflict, but it can be an effective conflict. And so the language of needs comes in with, hey, I'm feeling a lot of aggression in this moment and I have a need for this to be a little bit calmer of a conversation. Can we come back to this later? Or can we adjust over to this piece here? And so you provide the feeling that you're having calling out the elephant in the room so it allows other people to feel safe to have their own feelings as well. It almost releases this release valve of just like tension and pressure. Then a need is stated. And so that allows people to be like, oh, okay, you need a thing which allows them to not feel attacked. And then you ask for something to actually happen that allows people to meet that need without being attacked or feeling defensive. And they can just be in the space with you. So it's a really good way to deescalate situations. And it's also just a really effective way to communicate even when things are calm, 
because it allows you to stay in a space of this is how I'm showing up and being direct and gives people the freedom around you to do the same. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So obviously it's, it's very different what people need because the people have different personalities and so on. So some people are extremely comfortable, uh, comfortable with conflict and some people it can, it can be very uh, difficult. Right. So how, how does that work then in terms of getting the team to really engage and so on? What, what do you typically see happens with a team when you, when you have that sort of approach? So initially there's pushback and there's like, this is weird. You're being weird. Why are you being weird? <laughs> right. And so people aren't really used to speaking in that language of needs and like stating feelings and what, like identifying their needs. And people actually really struggle to even identify feelings outside of judgments and interpretations. And so a feeling is an emotional state with a physical sensation versus an assumption of intention of somebody else. So to say, I feel sad versus I feel attacked. And so if, you can actually change your language over to the feeling of neat, like actual feeling words versus the judgments. Then you can start to actually have real conversations with your team. But initially there's this, like, I don't know about this. Like this feels, this feels weird and like kind of some pushback, but eventually people start to engage with it because it does feel more comfortable as they practice in it. And they realize that they feel heard and seen more frequently when they show up in the same way. So the front end of it is a lot of work for the person who's decided to start communicating this way, because not only do they have to communicate that way, but they have to hear empathetically back. And so they have to hear through not a language of needs and trying to pick out, oh, are you feeling X because you have a need for Y? Like, could we do this to create that for you? And so you're really trying to pull out how somebody's feeling or what they're needing in a moment. And so it's a lot of emotional energy on the front end. But once the team starts to engage with it, everything flows a lot easier. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. And how does that work? Like when you're giving people feedback, for example, how, how, how does that approach work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it depends on the kind of feedback that you're giving to somebody, but you can really create this language of, so let's just say that you gave somebody some feedback and it was around um, you needing them to to show up for meetings on time, right? Like they really struggle to show up for meetings on time. So you need them to show up for client meetings on time. So it can be something like, you know, I'm feeling really frustrated when I notice that you're not showing up for meetings on time and I see you come into meetings the last three meetings, five to 10 minutes late each. So we've given a observable, tangible thing that anybody could have seen happen. So that's the recordable truth. And then I have a need for you to show up on time because I have a need to have a good face in front of this client. Can you work on showing up on time for me? And then you get a bid from them. Like you make an ask of them, like, can you help me out here? Which really puts them in a place of giving and an opportunity to give, which most humans take the opportunity to do so. I like that a lot. That's very similar to how I generally recommend people to give feedback, right? So typically what I say is you you need to share an observation, right? And and you have to share it from your point of view, though, and, and understand that, uh, well, the way I say it is you can always be wrong. So just because you have an observation doesn't necessarily mean it's right. It just means what... That's how you observe it, right? But typically I say that you give a piece of feedback, 
um, typically asking people if you can give them a piece of feedback first, if they're ready for it. And then say, you know, when you do X, here's what happens. Uh, so, you know, when you show up late for meetings, what happens is, you know, the client gets unhappy and they get frustrated that they're sitting waiting. Uh, can you do that differently? So basically very, very similar framework, right? So basically just um, fa facing the, the challenge or facing the observation that you have and then basically just, yeah, give, give a piece of feedback based on the behavior. I think a lot of the time, it, exactly as you pointed out, people just see like, hey, you know, why are you always showing up late? And like they're just sharing uh, their wending and sharing their frustration. And often people don't, the, the way the feedback is being communicated means that people automatically go super defensive and they don't actually take the feedback on board, right? Yes, exactly. Another opportunity in that moment is to get curious about why. Like, I have this need for you to show up to meetings on time. We clearly disagree on this stance. Can you help me understand why you don't think it's important to show up to meetings on time? And allow them to fill in the blank with why they don't think it's important or whether they do or not think it's important. Like, you can even ask that, like, do you think it's important to be on time for meetings? Because they may or may not. And it gives you a lot of information about that person and the story and the perception that they have of the world around them because we can all be in the same room together and walk out with completely different experiences based on our perceptions. So yes, the perception of that observation could be completely different. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That's cool. So what about communication in general? I think personally, I feel communication is the single most important thing we do as humans, right? Like we do it all the time, not just in work, but also personal relationships and so on. So how, how does a human-centric approach to, to communication work? Yeah, so it's all of those pieces that we just talked about. Like communication, I agree, 100%. Communication is queen. Like playing chess, that queen can go everywhere on the board. Like if you're not an effective communicator, you can't really go anywhere. And so keeping it human-centered is in that language of needs and really being in that space of curiosity and empathetic sharing as well as empathetic listening and putting yourself in a space of being open to hearing somebody else's perception. You don't have to take their perception, but being able to actually understand where they might be coming from helps you to meet them where they are in a moment. And the more people that we can effectively communicate with and the more styles and methods that we can effectively communicate with, the stronger bonds that we can create and the more accountability and security we can create on our teams and just in our general lives. And, and how do you, so, so obviously listening to other people is, is important, but how do you help people that maybe aren't so good listeners to become better listeners? Like any, any tips or any help for them? If, yeah. Yeah. So if you're working with somebody who is not an active listener, engaging them in the process, like, Hey, like, I think active listening is super, super important. And I would really like an opportunity to help you with it. Is that something you're interested in growing in? And so getting their consent to even help them in that is going to be super important because they may or may not think that they're bad communicators. And then if they aren't interested, then there can be little coaching opportunities along the way. So if they're just like, talking at somebody and they're not listening, there's an opportunity to step in and be like, oh, hey, like, I think I heard this being said, is that accurate to the person that's being talked at? And then you can ask the other person who was just talking at them, like, what did you hear them say? 
and putting them in a position to have to actually repeat back what they understood that person said and taking opportunities to start to adjust and get them to slow down a little bit and repeat back what people are saying and checking understanding is a really good starting point. Okay, great. That sounds, uh, that sounds good. So all, all in all, when, when people start this new approach, like what, what have you seen in terms of implementation time and so on? Like, is it something that takes years to implement or how fast does it typically happen in your experience? I, I think that depends on the buy-in of the human. Um, yeah. yeah, some people take to it like that. They're like, yes, that makes sense. Like, I get it. I understand it. And then for other people, it is hard. And I think it really depends also on the environment that you're in and how open and inviting it is to adjustments in communication and also your level of burnout in that situation. Like if you're already just like high emotion, frustrated, angry, it's going to be really hard to keep yourself in that empathetic sharing and listening, especially if you're meeting brick walls that are just not interested in hearing. So implementation time, I always tell people to be gentle with themselves and it always being a process and you just keep trying and you get better and better at it all the time. Um, what what would like in the companies you worked in, like typically how long have it taken? Like are you, are you talking months or years or like, yeah. Yeah. So anytime I've come on to a new team, like it's something that I implement pretty quickly and I usually find that within 60 to 90 days, the team is on board with the way we're communicating and they start to show up in that way. And some people do it, like adopt it much deeper than others do. Like some just adopt it with me and in our meetings, but then I start to see how they communicate with others start to change. But yeah, my actual implementation, because I drive it so hard between 60 and 90 days to get people to start buying into it. Cool. Cool. And yeah, do, do you see results every time or is there any kind of areas where you feel, you know, any kind of types of people or something where you see that it just doesn't make a big difference? Yeah, I've definitely come across people in which they are not interested in hearing anybody else. And you can tell that pretty quickly. Like they're just, they're just talking to hear themselves talk. They're not actually interested in engaging in collaboration or innovative ideas or anything like that. They just want to have their idea heard. Now, the longer I can talk to them just one-on-one -on -one and getting them to slow down a little bit, I can make end headway with them, excuse me. Um, but it's, it's a lot of work and it's very hard and it's a lot of emotional labor on the person who's trying to do it. So in a fast paced moving environment, like that can be really hard to want to engage in. So it really depends on your level of interest of, uh, how hard you want to try with them. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So like from a high level point of view, what sort of mistakes have you made trying to implement this? Like what, what are typical things that can go wrong? Or what is typical things that, you know, that can slow down process the process a lot initially? Yeah. The initial process from it can be a little bit messy. That switch between really speaking about feelings and removing the judgments and interpretations. Uh, that's a big one that can be really hard and tricky to do because we have so many commonly accepted feelings that are really judgments of another person. So um, attacked, belittled, uh, dumped on, like those are all things that we can say like, oh, I'm feeling this, but really that's assuming an intention of the other person. 
And so that's going to put them on the defense because that wasn't a feeling that was an attack on them and they're going to respond in kind. So really catching and making sure that you're speaking in feelings versus those intention, intention or judgment calls of what you think they're doing or perceiving what they're doing. Um, another thing I notice is not asking enough questions, like staying in a space of curiosity with people, especially if they don't hear you the first time. So you can have said the statement perfectly. I felt, I observed, I need, can you do like, you could have done it absolutely perfectly. And that person still had a story start in their head that they're still offended by the thing that you said, because they've got this thing that triggered this thing that like, oh, I'm, I'm never enough or I'm not heard or I'm not respected. And so you're dealing with years and years of stories coming at you from their perspective. And so in that moment, if you're new to it, you can be like, oh, that didn't work. I didn't do it right. But in that moment, it's really, oh, are you feeling frustrated because you have a need for this? And just like being in that space of curiosity with them to ensure that they feel heard and can calm down and meet you in the same space of feelings and needs. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree on the communication piece, right? So uh, typically for, for me, communication is always what the listener does. So that means that, you know, it's not about what you say. It's about what the other person is hearing. And sometimes that is not the same thing, right? Yeah. So in many, many situations that that can be, sometimes two totally opposite things. But I, I think actually, so for me, I, I spend a lot of time optimizing for happiness. Uh, and that might sound silly, but uh, one of the core things that I've always found is that um, assuming positive, assuming the most positive intent I can find on what other people do and say and how they behave mm -hmm. is probably the one thing that makes me the happiest because it's so, so easy to find ways to, twist words that people say into a negative intent but if you actually train yourself to think like hmm, you know maybe this person didn't do this to hurt me maybe they didn't maybe they did it for a totally opposite reason and what ended up happening like the outcome of it ended up hurting me but that was not at all the intention right mm -hmm. so i've always found that that trying to uh, assume the most positive intent I can do. Uh, sometimes people call me naive, but uh, at, at least from a from a happiness perspective, it works very well. And and reality is most of the time people are not trying to hurt each other. No. Like, as as I always say, no one wakes up in the morning saying, "I want to be a bad human being." Like yeah, no, it, it doesn't happen. Uh, or uh, I mean. At least there's not many of them would say that way. Right? Sure. So. That's fair. That's fair. There, I'm, so. There's somebody somewhere, I'm sure. But yeah, that whole, like, humans just want their needs met, right? And they're going through the world with strategies that they've learned their entire lives for attempting to get those needs met. But that's filled with a lot of stories and perceptions and just things that are occurring all the time. And so their intention and their impact could be so far off from one another but the way they showed up has been effective to reach their goal previously. So they're not even understanding that they're not reaching their goal effectively because they don't know how to be another way. And so if we can just assume that they want to show up well in the world by asking questions and getting curious and hearing them, we actually have the opportunity to see them that way because we've given them the space to show up differently. 
Yeah, that actually reminds me of a, a great book by Malcolm Gladwell called mm -hmm. What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Uh, for that same reason, it's probably one of my top five favorite books. Um, and like, I, I worked with a manager that I was managing. I, I took him over from a different team and he was someone who was being extremely, let's call it assertive to be polite. Um, he was being very, very direct and sometimes to the point of screaming and shouting at people around him. And uh, what happened was that, uh, you know, he, he constantly, uh, not constantly, but he got promoted multiple times and he always put it down to the fact that he was basically being an asshole and that was why he was getting promoted. Mm -hmm. He never had the ability to see that he was getting promoted despite that, not because of that. And eventually, like his career totally crashed and burned. But um, that was, I mean, that was a that was a very interesting learning experience for me in terms of seeing like how people can really wheel themselves into this this place of thinking that the the bad behaviors they have and the, the bad behaviors they engage in are actually a good thing. Um, and it's it's very interesting how we just look at ourselves as people, right? Um, but yeah, that's uh, definitely a great book um, for, I, I think, should be mandatory reading for all people because I think we all have some things that, you know, we're overcompensating with or we're not realizing that, you know, it's just because we do it a lot doesn't mean it's our core to success. Sometimes it might actually be what's holding us back the most. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, those limiting beliefs can step in our way all the time. And yeah, having attaching to a strategy as effective in being blind to its actual impact is something I see in a lot of managers that similar to that, that they think they're assertive and just driving and that's how they get things done. Like, yeah, I mean, you get things done, but can you imagine how much you would get done if your team felt supported? Like it's a whole other world. <laughs> Definitely. And I've, I mean, multiple times in the corporate world, I've kind of been thrown in to help fix teams that have been run down by a super associate manager and so on. Because uh, again, like you can, you can be extremely forceful. You can, you can be extremely direct with people and, and you can force out good short-term results, right? Like if, if you're assertive enough with people and if you're, um, even if you're not a particularly good manager, you can get some short-term results, right? But very, very often you end up with teams where people are leaving or, you know, people end up with depression or stress or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, let's just say for me, at least that is not encouraged very much. So No, I'm with you. Like the cost of turnover is huge. Like being able to keep your team and having good team retention and team engagement, like you save the company tons and tons of money. Like you save money in recruiting, you save money in lost sales, you save money in project deadlines being missed, like team engagement and happiness on your team with good, effective communication. Like those are the leading ends to how you stay successful. And you said short-term results if you're super assertive, but it doesn't last. People give up on that real quick. Yeah, that was good. That was good. So uh, before we finish off, any particular resources that you're very keen on 
sort of recommending to people or what's the best way to go? Like if people want to start this journey, like what's the best place to go for them to get started? Uh, I have plenty of books options that I would recommend that people read. I think some of my current favorites for books uh, are probably Digital Body Language. Uh, That's a really, really great one to helping remote managers engage with their teams digitally. She offers a lot of really great examples of how you can effectively communicate digitally and making sure that you're avoiding these anxiety loops that can cause disengagement on teams. Uh, The One Minute Manager is probably another one of my favorites because there is teams that are way too big for individual managers that helps you with like the quick hit impact coaching that you can do on a team. As far as somebody wanting to delve a little bit deeper into that human-centered leadership and language of needs, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg is probably the first book I'd recommend. And I'm a leadership coach who teaches all of these things, and I am happy to work with people. Awesome. That sounds great. So uh, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you if they would love to do so? Yes, I'm on all the social medias as To Living Audaciously. Uh, My company name is Living Audaciously because to be audacious is to be bold and to be human-centered is a bold move at the moment. Uh, That's also my website, tolivingaudaciously.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very, very much for joining me today. That was a super fun conversation. So thank you very much for your time. I'm grateful for you having me. Thank you. And to the audience, thank you very much for holding on all the way to the end. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.